Well, you can turn with me to uh, Joshua chapter 24. We are now in the last chapter uh, of this absolutely wonderful book. I'm going to open up here with just uh, this verse here, which is towards the end of chapter 24. And Joshua is speaking to the nation. He says, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So just the context of this situation, Joshua is coming to the end of his life. He gives three main addresses to the nation. The first one in chapter 22 was to the tribes east of the Jordan. In chapter 23, he gives his address to those tribes that were on the west side of the Jordan. And then as he's about to depart, he calls the entire nation together at Shechem, which kind of serves as a capital, and uh, address them. And so these were his final words to them. And basically, you, you combine these three messages, and he's telling the nation, remember to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember that all that you have seen over these last few years, it's God that has brought you here. One person was able to chase 10,000. You have conquered nations that are bigger and stronger than yourselves. And, you know, in Deuteronomy, Moses said that you will overcome the Canaanite nations, seven of them, and they're fierce, and God has fulfilled his promise to help you come into this place. You have now taken possession of cities, that you have not built, and you're eating of vineyards and groves that you did not plant. So you've come into this blessing because of your great God. And so as he wraps up his remarks, it's this last verse here that I've underlined that I want to really highlight for us this morning, where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now what's interesting about this comment that's made by Joshua is that the scripture tells us Joshua was 110 years old when he made this statement, okay? And here are a couple other details that I find to be very interesting, and actually it may blow you away. Joshua was not a young man when he led Israel into the promised land, way back in chapter 1. We probably have in our minds this picture of a young warrior ready to go, but Joshua was actually 80 years old. So he was ready to go, no doubt, but he actually was already an old man, and we know this because Joshua and Caleb were approximately the same age. And we're told in chapter 14 that Caleb said that he was 85 years old when the land was conquered. So Joshua and Caleb were buddies. They spied out the land together. When they were 40 years old, they wandered in the desert together for 40 years. That meant that they were 80 years old by the time they crossed the Jordan. Now, all the events that we've talked about in chapters 1 all the way through 20, well, 21 took a five-year period. So it helps us to get a, a bit of a time frame that's going on here. That meant that Joshua was now 85 years old, and he was going out to war at a very old age, riding horses through the night, going into harm's way, dodging arrows, slaying enemy soldiers that were half his age or a third his age. And, uh, you know, most of us are in wheelchair by then, but not Joshua. So when the Bible says in uh, chapter 13 that Joshua was old and advanced in years, it was being very specific and correct because Joshua divided up the land when he was at this age of 85. After that, he lived for another 25 years. 
So in between taking Israel into the promise and when he died, that was 30 years. So this is an incredible picture of how we're to live our life in our latter years, which brings me to my title and my concluding thought here for this series in our theme, Church on the Move. I want to talk about our end game as Christians and the idea of finishing our lives on earth well. Now, for some of you, because you're still young, it may seem like years and decades away to think about finishing your life well. We've got time, no need to worry, but having the long view of how you want to live your life is wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12, says, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. When we number our days, we know how to prioritize, how to spend our time, how not to spend our time how to spend our money, how not to spend our money, how to have certain relationships, how not to have relationships. Numbering our days is stewarding our most precious asset on earth, which is our time. And Joshua gives us great wisdom here as he's about to pass away. Finish your life well. Be faithful to God until the end. Don't just start well, but end well. Don't waste your years and live with regret. Too many people have the appearance of success, but they don't finish their lives well. A couple years ago, there was an actor-singer by the name of David Cassidy who passed away at 67 years old. Some of you are way too young to remember him, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, he was a huge heartthrob and superstar pop singer in the 1970s. He was kind of like the Justin Bieber of his age, of his day. He was edgy, he was sexy, he had this rebellious edge. He lived a famous life, but a hard life. He had one daughter, but abandoned her to chase fame in his rock and roll lifestyle. As he was passing away, his daughter, who would later become an actress on the TV series Arrow, which is filmed actually in Vancouver, she said that her dad's last words to her were so much wasted time. And one of his castmates on the TV show, The Partridge Family, called that David's longing for more life a tragedy. And two years before he died, he filed for bankruptcy, despite making millions and millions of dollars. So you look at a life like that and you say, you know what, we don't want this. We don't want to finish our lives in this way. And yet this kind of story is all too common. Leadership author John Maxwell has famously said, people will summarize your life in one sentence. Pick it now. Now, Dr. Maxwell, whom I know personally, came to this phrase after suffering a serious heart attack and having faced death while he was laying uh, in the hospital recuperating, he was thinking about what people would have said about him at his funeral. That's when he realized that people will summarize your life in one sentence. But instead of letting them pick what that sentence would be, he realized he needed to pick that sentence himself. He had to define what his life would be, not others. And so he would say, you know, we don't get to choose when or how we die, but we can decide how we're going to live. And so our one sentence can be as simple as, I want to be known as a kind and caring person, or as aspirational as I want to be the next astronaut to walk on the moon. Each has its own power to impact and help us live our lives in a meaningful way. So Joshua's one sentence was, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what marked his life. That's what motivated him. That's what made him special. Nobody will care about your legacy 
as much as you do. And if you don't take responsibility for it and see it through, nobody else will. Your goal as a person is not to be indispensable to others. It's to leave them with something that's indispensable to them. And that comes from inspiring them with what you're about. Now, defining your, your life sentence is a process. You don't figure it out all at once. It gets refined over time. But start with a first version. My first version was I want to be a, a follower, a great follower of Jesus Christ. And then I begin to build on that. I want to be a great servant pastor. As you continue to walk with God, he refines it for you. It makes it more and more clear. But through it all, for me, I want to be known as a lover of Jesus, and that's my life's passion. Harvard professor John Cotter said, most people don't lead their lives, they just accept it. Don't let that statement apply to you. The reason why Joshua's words were so powerful is because it spoke of his intentionality in making right decisions in his life. The reason why we stray and fall in a ditch, go sideways, get stuck in the desert, go in a circle in life, is because we make bad decisions. But when you say, my sentence, my one life sentence is to be a kind person or to be a great mom or be a great movie director, it creates the North Star in your life. You create an unwavering point in the sky by which you navigate. It continually helps you to make good decisions and keep the bad ones away. So this was the legacy of Joshua. This was his charge to his people. If you, O oh Israel, want to be a great nation, if you want to be a nation that will continue to be on the move, know your purpose in God and walk in it until God calls you home. I think about Caleb. Again, Joshua's great friend, fellow spy, fellow soldier in the fight. I mean, this guy was a total stud. Listen to what he said here in Joshua 14. Behold, I'm 85 years old today. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. For war and for going out and coming in. Now then, and he's speaking to Joshua as they're dividing up the land. Caleb is saying to Joshua, Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. This is a crazy statement that he's making. Give me the hill country? Most of us can barely climb the steps at 85 and he's wanting to go up on these rugged terrains and he's wanting to occupy these places. And he says, give me Anakim. Well, who are Anakim? These were the giants in the land, probably seven foot tall soldiers and Caleb wanted to still take them on. These are the same guys that the spies saw in Numbers 13 and made them feel like grasshoppers. Deuteronomy 1, it says, when we looked at them, our hearts melted. And so Caleb was like, Joshua, give this place to me. I want to take them on. It's a pretty amazing statement. I mean, we can barely swing a croquet mallet, let alone a sword. Yet Caleb's passion was the same as Joshua's. As long as I have breath, me and my house will serve the Lord. And so Caleb has the same heart of faith at 85 when he, as when he spied out the land. The conviction never left him. He had that same faith. He never wavered. He was strong in God until the end. 
And by the way, did you know that Caleb outlived Joshua? So if you read on in Judges chapter 1, you'll find the story continues with him. He's a pretty amazing guy. Finishing well was the legacy of the Apostle Paul. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Of course, it's the legacy of Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says that who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I think as Western Christians, we become pretty weak and anemic, and we're not good at embracing suffering, right? Most of our problems are literally first world problems. We just heard from the team, right? These people who are living, and they don't even know how to use a water bottle. They're not sure where their next meal is going to come. They don't know if they're going to get clean water. We're talking about living at the most basic level, and yet they have a joy, And that joy is the key to living well, to knowing that, okay, God, I'm going after you. These teachers who are giving up salaries or what comforts in the cities and coming to these villages to teach and their ability to speak well and their ability to be skilled is because there's an anointing and there's a Holy Spirit that comes on them to do these things. And so Jesus understood the power of joy and he was able to press through the suffering. And so let us be reminded like Paul and like Jesus That if we have difficulties, let's look up. If we have trials, let's remember what the great heroes did as they went through them. I think about even some of those in our midst today who are running the race strong in their golden years. We need to applaud them and learn from them, be inspired and copy them. Think about Bernice and George, Richard and Anita. These are people, Mrs. Dang, who are running the race well and finishing well. And at the end of our days, we want to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful slaves, enter into the joy of your master. Living life is not just starting well, it's finishing well. And starting out well is glorious, but finishing well is even more glorious. Having that fixed in your mind is is wisdom. Solomon said, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. One last comment about Joshua and then um, we'll close for this morning. When Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he spoke not only of his own individual mission, he was also speaking of a corporate mission. He was speaking of his family. Not just, as for me, I will serve the Lord, as for me and my house. And this is one of the highest values in the Bible is to build up our natural families, the kids that we have, our extended family. Whatever our life goal is, God wants us to impart to our families a deep love for him. And this is deep wisdom. Our families are our first instrument of influence. We impact the world through our natural families. I was talking with Alex this morning, and his three children have been dedicated in our church, and one of the moving features of that, those dedications is that they put on this dress that their babies have been dedicated in for over 100 years. This dress has been passed down six generations. And to me, that's, that's such a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in the earth. And when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're building up our literal house, our literal families. That's why God said, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. 
You know, there is an anti-almost-family mindset in society today. I want to have 1.8 kids. That's not possible, right? Because we think about our economic conditions, whether we can support our family and how costly it is. That's a very secular mindset. You think about, oh, my heart won't be big enough if I have three or four or five kids. You know what? God multiplies your heart. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to multiply. He wants us to have flourishing families to succeed and multiply and to carry his heritage. He wants families to be living, breathing models of what kingdom life and joy is about. Most of us have parents or grandparents and they came from relatively big families. I'm only one generation removed and I remember going to high school, particularly the Catholic families, right? They have 8, 10, 12 kids. That was just normal. My father came from a family of eight siblings. Three of them died just because of just natural disease and illness. This is the way of civilization is having big families. It's a blessing to God. And it's the way that he uses us to spread influence. This has generation upon generation power. Of course, our second instrument of influence is our spiritual family, our church family. This is how we also impact society, modeling kingdom culture to be the culture around us. We're truly a nation within a nation. This is what it means to be church on the move, to be on fire, to be on task for God's will, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind as Joshua charged the nation. So if we do this, if we have the mindset, okay, I'm going to finish strong, I'm going to live my life well to the very end, this is why Joshua was so blessed. He was faithful to the end of his life. He finished his life well, and so we need to go and do likewise. Let's make a mental note as we finish up just this book of Joshua and come back to it time and time again. Joshua, you were a man called by God to lead this great nation, but in the end, it was this individual commitment that you had to follow God all the way, to be faithful to the end, that God wants us also to be inspired by and to do likewise. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for this powerful, powerful book. We thank you, God, for the pattern that's given to us. We thank you that it instructs us even now, hundreds and even thousands of years after all these events unfolded, and I pray, God, for a fresh vigor, a fresh commitment, and a fresh consecration to come into our hearts that we would not be a mirror of the culture around us, but we'd be a mirror of the kingdom, Lord, that's in front of us, that Holy Spirit, you'd be speaking deeply to us, inspiring us, Father God, to continue on and to be strong to the very end, just like Joshua and Caleb. Let your grace continue to work strongly within us, we give you thanks this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.